What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages? You are, are listening to This Week in Sports. As always, I'm your host, The Pody. It is Friday, September 3rd, 2021. And I have to say, I have to start to show off before I forget. I hope everybody is okay and is recovering from this tropical storm or Hurricane Ida. Ida, 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 you were one bad girl these past few days, unleashing a wrath and tornadoes of damage. Uh, There was a few tornadoes that struck through New Jersey where I live. Um, Luckily, nothing came near me, um, mostly down south, and just crazy flooding and damage. By now, you've seen New York City. 15 people have died. I think 40 people uh, total have died in the surrounding states. Just flooding like you can't imagine. I saw Philly and Pennsylvania. Just the flooding was unbelievable. People drowning in their cars. Um, John Sterling had to be rescued. Just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. But um, I'm in a bit of a time crunch, and I've got a lot to get to, so we are going to jump right in. And like I said, um, it is Friday, the 3rd of September, and let's do it. Um, Episode 148 of This Week in Sports. And I hope you guys had a chance to check out last week's episode with me um, and Nick there, uh, our NFL preview, it was about two hours, but if you're driving to or from work, you've got some time to kill, you could hit the play button, you could always um, turn up the speed a little bit so it's on one and a quarter or even one and a half speed and you could just breeze right through that. Um, and I think it was very informative, gave out some picks, our predictions for the season. And uh, with this episode, we'll jump in and we'll talk some college football as well. So uh, first off, let's get you started with uh, a recap. Uh, weekend recap. Okay, so to start things off, Jake Paul on Sunday night. Surprisingly, this pay-per-view boxing match was on Sunday instead of uh, the typical Saturday. But it was uh, Jake Paul defeating Tyrone Woodley via a split decision. This was the first fight in Jake Paul's, you know, uh, small sample size of a career. He's now, he moves to uh, 4-0. He did get the win with the split decision. It's the first fight that he did not um, knock the person out. So no TKO for Jake Paul. Um, Woodley was a, you know, a good opponent, a solid opponent for him. But again, these fights, do you really consider these fights? Let me know your thoughts on that. You could hit me up on socials, um, on social media, but... Uh, it's more of a stunt. These guys make more money than they'll ever make in a regular fight going up against Jake Paul. And, uh, you know, I don't want to mince words. He can fight. Let, let's just um, let's just get that straight for a second. But he's fighting. He, he's Him and his brother, Logan, are huge. They're massive, hulking. They're well over six feet. Their reach, their arm length is, is long. And they're fighting guys like a Woodley, who's much smaller than him, a former UFC guy, but... He's, you know, had a bad streak of losses, so he needed to revitalize his career a little bit and get this fight in there. And it was it was a good fight, um, but the split decision, final scorecards read 77-75 Paul, 77-75 Woodley, 78-74 Paul. Um, in his post-fight interview, Woodley said they need a rematch, um, but... Both Logan Paul, who jumped in there, as well as Jake Paul, they said he had his chance and he will not get a rematch. And some polls I saw out there said that nobody wants to really see this rematch. It was in favor of not having a rematch. So that was the Jake Paul-Tyrone Woodley fight. Okay, next up, we had a glorious battle at the BMW Championship between Patrick Cantley and and Bryson DeChambeau battling it out in an epic six-hole playoff, okay? Um, Cantley and DeChambeau both bogeyed 17, so Cantley went to 18, down one, um, and, you know, he was the 2019 runner-up in the event. He sank, whoops, excuse me, he sank a ridiculous, a 21-foot 
putt for birdie on 18 to put all the pressure on Bryson. Take a listen. Hold on, hold on. Why did that... Give me one second. Let's try that again. And another one. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. Another one, meaning he did this multiple times throughout the day. He would do it later on in the playoff. Just ridiculous um, clutch gene right there from Patrick Cantley. That put the pressure Dead on Bryson DeChambeau, okay, and Bryson couldn't handle it. He missed his respective birdie putt, and this thing would go to a playoff. Um, both guys actually finished at a ridiculous 27 under before the playoff began. It's just un unprecedented, not... Not many tournaments do you see guys at 27 under, and they're in a tie, believe it or not. Um, so we head to the first playoff hole, and this is where Patrick Cantley nearly chipped in uh, for the win. That did hit the stick, Zing. What and a call. It, and it slowed it up. Lips out. It did slow it up because it did run uh, a good ways past the hole, um, but he does not get the win on the first playoff hole. And then from there, things would continue. DeChambeau would find the water. Um, actually, no, the hole before that, it was Bryson on the third hole of the playoff, lipping out on a putt for the win. This hurts a man <laughs> when that happens. It's you know. just... And he loves it, he loves it, he loves it. He lo Oh, he hates it. DeChambeau would then find the water off the tee on the fourth playoff hole, but somehow managed to save par. Um, that's exactly why he's a pro and we're not, because the fact that they could uh, lose a ball off the first tee and then still come back for par is just ridiculous, something that most amateurs uh, can't do, uh, me included. Um, but then on 18th, uh, the 18th and 6th playoff hole, both guys found the green in regulation, but it was this putt from 17 feet for birdie that would win it for Cantley. Oh, it's on a great pace. He just had a feeling he was due. There's no give up in So you heard it there. That was from, what did I say, 21 feet or 17 feet. And Bryson then had a nine-footer for, for his birdie and to tie. He was not able to get the job done. And it is Patrick Cantley getting his third victory of the season, which is the most of any golfer on the tour right now, and more on the tour championship, which is currently underway. Um, around two, but Patrick Cantley, last time I checked, maybe an hour ago, he was your leader of that tournament as well, and Bryson is in the in the mix there. So a lot of golf left to be played, but I'll get you the updated standings a little bit later in the show. Okay, next up, let's talk a little uh, Little League World Series. It is the kids from Taylor, Michigan, who are your 2021 Little League World Series champions. They defeated Hamilton, Ohio by a final score of 5-2. to two. It was Jackson Surma who was your um, unsung hero in this game with a, a game-high four runs, including a two-run double in the first to get the scoring going for Michigan. Ethan Van Bell got the start for the winning team. He struck out eight over four innings. Um, in your consolation game, Hawaii, who lost to Michigan in the Hank Aaron bracket finals by one run, they defeated South Dakota by a score of 5-0. to zero. South Dakota lost to Ohio 5-2 to two in the Tom, excuse me, in the Tom Seaver bracket finals. Moving right along. In a surprise move, it was the Patriots cutting Cam Newton on Tuesday morning. 
Oh my God. Yeah, in their final cut down to 53 players, the Patriots cut Cam Newton, who they just re-signed in the offseason, who many of us thought was going to win this starting job with with um, with Mac Jones, a- a- at least to start off the season. But no, in a very surprising move, the Patriots cut Cam Newton. They also cut a veteran journeyman, Brian Hoyer, but that's a formality. Apparently, they're supposed to be re-signing him. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Jared Stidham is coming off the pup list or IR or something to that effect. So, ultimately, he may be the backup. But um, it's a very surprising move. Um, it's not a surprise in the sense that Mac Jones is getting the nod because he has been dynamite. And there was some controversy surrounding Cam Newton. Oh, my God. I, I have to I have to pause the show for a second to just read some breaking news that just came through that just gave me goosebumps. So earlier in to, in in the day, uh, there's some basketball stuff going on in the NBA. There's some trades going on, this and that. Earlier in the day, the Nets signed um, veteran former All Star. He had one of his worst seasons last year with the Nuggets, but Paul Millsap. The Nets were linked to him for a while now, so good move, solid, fine. Then the Nets made a trade, trading DeAndre Jordan to the Pistons for Jaleel Okafor and some Seku guy. I don't know who he is, whatever. Um, Now, this is some bonkers news, okay? The Brooklyn Nets are signing LaMarcus Aldridge to a one-year $2.6 million deal with the Nets. If you remember five months ago, LaMarcus Aldridge signed with the Nets and then had to retire, medically retire with heart concerns and a heart condition. I'm assuming what has happened is he has gotten this taken care of. He He's seen some doctors that maybe said we could run a procedure on you to fix you and let you play. Whatever the case may be, this is unbelievable news. It is official. The Brooklyn Nets are winning the NBA title in 2021-2022. It is official. Nobody will stop them now. Not even the Nets can stop themselves like they did a few months ago when they, you know, got in their own way with with the injury concerns. It's it's over. Why even play out the season? The Nets are winning the championship. That's it. It's over. So anyway, um let's get back on track now. Sorry about that, but that just Wow, gave me goosebumps a little bit because when we first signed LaMarcus Aldridge, I was excited because I've always liked him as a player, and then I felt bad for him, um, and I was sad for him that his career got cut short. Um, But luckily, the Nets did not win a ring, and you know he didn't miss out on anything. So now he could run it back with the Nets, and they could win this thing. All right, so yes, um, not much more to say. The Patriots got rid of Cam Newton. I was saying there was some issues there because he was uh, went to see an outside doctor. Something got exposed to COVID. He is an unvaccinated player, so there was question whether they cut him for that reason. But um, all of those rumors were expelled, extinguished. Bill Belichick even said that wasn't the reason. So where will Cam Newton land, if anywhere? That remains to be seen. Okay, one of the coolest, most bizarre stories that you will hear this week is South Carolina naming their grad assistant as their new starting quarterback for their opener tomorrow. Um, Zeb Noland, he was hired by South Carolina coach Shane Beamer as a grad assistant in May. He was then added to the roster as a quarterback on August 16th and he will officially start their season opener tomorrow. So he's a bit of a journeyman in the college football ranks. He's a 6'2", 230-pound quarterback. He previously played at North Dakota State and Iowa State. He compiled 2,115 yards and 12 passing touchdowns on a little over, excuse me, 57%, 57 57.2% to be exact, in 24 games. He did beat out another senior transfer, Jason Brown, for the starting spot. And this all happening because regular starter Luke Doty uh, suffered a midfoot sprain during an August 13th practice, opening the door for a new quarterback. Um, This is a very cool story. I hope he does well. 
This could just be for about a week or so, though, because Doty is expected to return as soon as September 11th when they face off against East Carolina. But what a crazy, crazy story. Guy thinks his career is over. He's, you know, trying to get into coaching, and all of a sudden, boom, he's now your starting quarterback for the first game of the season. Okay, let's talk a little baseball. Um, yesterday, the Dodgers, well, Wednesday, the Dodgers overtook the Giants for first place outright in the NL West. This is their first outright lead in the division since April 25th. That came with their 4-3 win against the Braves, coupled with the Giants' 5-2 loss to the Brewers. The Dodgers grabbing the top spot in the NL West for the first time in four months. Now, as of today, because the Dodgers did not play yesterday and the Giants beat the Brewers, they are in a dead heat. Same records and everything. And it could not come at a better time, both teams being 85 and 49. And tonight, they start their final head-to-head series of the season. So uh, keep an eye out on that. That should be a fun series to watch. Okay, next up, we've got to talk about Bishop Sycamore. If you haven't heard the Bishop Sycamore story by now, well, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. So, first off, um, yes, first off, let's start with the fact that the school drew attention. Who is Bishop Sycamore, right? It's a high school. They drew attention because they played on ESPN on Sunday, and they got destroyed 58 to nothing. They lost to IMG Academy, um, who is the number one team in the nation. Okay, this, however, though, was Bishop Sycamore's second prep football game in three days, which is illegal. Um, The school is also connected to multiple legal suits and incidents ranging from unpaid hotel rooms to defaulted and fraudulent loans. Um, Most recently, Roy Johnson, their uh, Bishop Sycamore's coach, was reported to police for paying for 25 hotel rooms in Canton, Ohio this past weekend with two bad checks written for a total of $3,596. It's neither the first time Johnson's teams have walked out on a hotel nor the biggest amount, and it's not even his first run-in with the law. Johnson and former Ohio State player Jay Richardson have been named in multiple legal suits where the money being sought for unpaid loans soars into six figures. Johnson was also accused in March of 2020 of assaulting his ex-girlfriend. He eventually pleaded guilty to criminal mischief. So I have to go over this timeline that I found from Bish, uh, from SB Nation, okay? So in the fall of 2018, Roy Johnson, who obviously would become their coach at Bishop Sycamore, He starts an online charter school called Christians of Faith Academy. The school has an identical goal as Bishop Sycamore would go on to have, helping at-risk youth. Um, Scrutiny by the state officials. It was impossible to determine whether classes were actually taking place, and the school's license was eventually revoked. Johnson was investigated for fraud. Then fast forward to 2019. Uh, Youth Build Centurions is is founded in Columbus, Ohio. It's basically just a rebranding of the former Christians of Faith Academy. This was another online charter school with a football team, which served as its public face. The school would later rebrand again, this time as Bishop Sycamore. A 2020 article by The Independent notes that Bishop Sycamore went 5-6 and six in its first season against a schedule that only featured one Ohio school, adding that the school was not a member of the Ohio State Athletic Association and has been a lightning rod for controversy in the local community. Fast forward to September 23, 2019, so about two and a half years ago. The Youth Build Centurions have a match canceled when a school in West Virginia learns they have numerous players on the roster over the age of 18. But that's not all. Fast forward one more year to September 4th, 2020. Bishop Sycamore plays its first recorded football game on Max Preps, losing 35 to nothing to a non-conference opponent. Ahead of the game, athletic director Dave Brown speaks to the Independent about his approach to building the team, which curiously notes that he doesn't want players or coaches to look up information about the team online. I try to encourage our athletes and our coaching staff to stay off of the internet. 
Brown says, which is a curious concept considering Bishop Sycamore is an online school. Fast forward about a month from there to October 16th of 2020, Bishop Sycamore plays IMG Academy for the first time in their season finale. Bishop Sycamore loses 56-6, finishing the 2020 season 0-6, with their closest game being a 37-14 loss. Bishop Sycamore and IMG Academy will meet in less than a year on ESPN, which is what took place on Sunday. Fast forward to April of 2021, Bishop Sycamore spins up its online hype machine through a website which has since been shut down, showing its closed for maintenance. In it, nothing is mentioned of educational goals or support for students. Instead, the only information available is a series of blog posts detailing upcoming private workouts for college teams and how the school recommends players create highlight clips to be noticed. Okay, then we fast forward to August 19th when Bishop Sycamore opens its 2021 season with a 38-0 loss to Archbishop Hoban. And last Sunday on the 27th, Bishop Sycamore plays, excuse me, uh, uh, last week, Bishop Sycamore plays Rosox in Pennsylvania, losing 19-7. And then two days later, they play IMG Academy on ESPN. That was the Sunday game. The school is clearly outmatched and unable to keep up. During the game, the announcers express its disgust at the situation, insinuating the network had been promised this ESPN. The school had numerous football players with D1 athletes, but clearly, based on the game, they do not. Furthermore, there are questions about the safety of the players on the field against the bigger, stronger, and more skilled IMG. Take a listen to this. Bishop Sycamore told us they had a number of Division I prospects on their roster. To be frank, a lot of that we could not verify. And they did not show up in our database. They did not show up in the databases of other recruiting services. So it's okay. If that's what you're telling us, fine. That's how we take it in. From what we've seen so far, this is not a fair fight, and, and there's got to be a point now, Luke, where you do worry about health and safety. Yeah, I already am worried about it. I, I think it's um, this is this could potentially be dangerous, given the circumstances and the mismatch that we have here. And um, and, and and quite honestly, Bishop Sycamore doesn't have not only the frontline players, but they don't have the depth in case something were to happen to their roster with maybe a kid or two here. Yeah, so this story is still pretty much developing. It is possible, excuse me, um, it is possible that this story is not over and more is to come of this. I believe the coach has since been fired. Um, it, it, if you look up listings of where the school address is, it's like a little duplex um, apartment building type thing. So this is a scam. This is 100% a scam. This is an online charter school in the sense that there are no classes. This was created to just make up a football team. Um, other reports are that these are players that are basically junior college dropouts. So they would not be high school eligible. This means they already played in high school and they're over the age of 18, possibly even too. So it's just an absolutely in incredible story. Um, then people, so people began digging into the history of Bishop Sycamore, learning not only was there never a Bishop Sycamore as a person, but almost nothing is known about the school. Ben Koo of Awful Announcing leads the charge investigating the school, being the first to point out they played two games in three days. He also questioned ESPN over how the school was put on TV. Excuse me, as did everybody else wonder that. Learning they trusted Paragon Marketing Group, a third-party company, to make the matchup. And then fast forward to August 30th, as people begin to dig more into it, uh, the suspect... Uh, the more suspect the school becomes, it has two listed addresses. See, this is what I was talking about. Um, one appears to be a house in a residential area. The other is the library at Franklin University in Columbus, Ohio. Just ridiculous. Um, yes, they have fired their head coach, Roy Johnson, who started 
this ball rolling back in 2018. Athletic director Andre Peterson fires back at claims he's running a scam because as he tells USA Today Sports, I'm not gaining anything financially from doing this. It should be noted that as of August 30th, there was an active GoFundMe trying to raise 20K for Bishop Sycamore. It has since been shut down and it received $140. They closed its website saying it's down for maintenance. Archives of past articles are still available via Wayback Machine. Schools begin backing out of scheduled games against Bishop Sycamore. So, unbelievable. Just unbelievable story. So, yeah, go look it up if you're interested. We definitely need a 30 for 30 on this one. Okay, next up, Nick Castellanos had his bat inspected in the second inning after his second home run of the game against the Cardinals. Um, Mike Schmidt, Cardinals manager, asked the umpires to check his bat during the second inning after Castellanos hit a home run in the first inning and then hit a grand slam in the second inning. So take a look at this, or take a listen. Castellanos with his bat. He's hand-delivering it. Here you go. Check it out. Now remember, a few games ago, we talked about Castellanos was using a bat where on the end of the bat, there, there it is right there. Castellanos has been using this bat yes, for several has. days. Yes, he has. So, yeah, if you see it um, in the video, Castellanos has a huge chi uh, chip in the top of the bat. Just a chunk of the bat just is out. It is just came out. He probably hit it off the end of the bat and caused the chunk to fly off. Um, so I, I don't know why he would want to use a bat like that, but he's done it before, and he's been using that. He was using that bat for a few days, and... Nobody made a big deal of it, but Mike Schilt did because, um, as he later said, that, you know, it was a safety concern, but he's like, kudos to him afterwards, you know. They said it was fine, but kudos to him for hitting the home runs with it. Um, and then Castellanos fired back by eventually giving the bat away to a young, lucky fan. I decided to give this dangerous piece of lumber to some lucky kid that was sitting above the dugout. So at the end of the day, everybody wins. So there you have it. Uh, Castellanos having a little bit of fun with it. Um, so that is one lucky kid. I once had in spring training for the San Francisco Giants, when I was a kid, um, a player gave me a bat that was uh, cracked at the handle. Um, and I think I still have it in my room, actually. So shipped it back from, from uh, Arizona, and I still have it to this day. So I'm sure that kid will cherish that bat for a long time to come. But Castellanos was on a tear. He uh, became the first player with six RBIs in the first two innings of a game since RBIs became official in 1920. Okay, moving right along, college football is officially back. Um, it came back on, what, uh, last weekend maybe or earlier in the week with a game or two. Nothing crazy, no no great teams on. But uh, last night we, we had a, a good slate of matchups, including number four Ohio State on the road at Minnesota. Nice Big Ten matchup. Um, and this was a great way to kick things off. Okay, uh, C.J. Stroud, you know, the young quarterback for Ohio State, getting the nod, you know, trying to replace Justin Fields. Um, interested to see how he was going to play, and it was it was not good in the first half. Ohio State found themselves down 14-10 to 10 at half after coming in as 13.5-point favorites in this game. And uh, they also had a lot on the line because they have the nation's longest winning streak on opening day. They've won... Um, have not lost their first game of a season since 1999 against Miami, okay? That is like the third or fourth longest streak. They came back down 21-17 uh, in the third quarter, and they got two quick turnaround touchdowns, the first one to take a three-point lead, and then this was really the turning point in the game. Play fake. Morgan in trouble, stripped, loose, picked up, Ohio State's got it! Touchdown, Haskell the Rascal! Garrett, Buckeyes, come up with a huge turnover! 
Yeah, it was an absolutely huge turnover. That gave them the 10-point lead, and that would kind of put it out of reach. It hovered around 10 or so. And then, of course, right at the last stages of this game, because every uh, game that you can bet on now, you question whether they're rigged or not. Like I said earlier, 13.5-point spread. And with about four minutes, my buddy uh, Priyank had bet on this game. He he unfortunately got Ohio State at minus the 14. He didn't um, get the 13 and a half. Um, he actually should have taken worse odds and, and moved the line to 13 and a half. But um, with about four minutes left, he was virtually out of it. I told him, don't worry, college football, they could score in, a, in an absolute second. And what do you know, um, Stroud rolled out to the right, hit his receiver in stride. He danced along the sideline and took it to the house for 50-plus yards, and they win by 14 exactly. So he pushed, which is better than losing. Um, But as far as Stroud goes, yes, got off to the rough start through that early interception, but he became the first Ohio State player with three passing touchdowns of 50-plus yards in a game over the last 25 years. Okay, next up, let's talk UCF and Boise State. That was another game on last night. Um, It was a wild finish. We saw UCF overcoming a 21-point deficit to get the win over Boise State. An early bad interception, uh, UCF quarterback rolled out to the right, and he tried to throw a pass for a touchdown in the end zone. It was picked off and run back 100 yards uh, for the score, and they they were down 21-0, but... They they kept grinding as UCF does, you know, getting little respect over the past, you know, four or five years. Um, great story there with that school. But um, it, that that twenty one point uh, comeback win, tying a the largest deficit in team in school history. Um, it was also the largest comeback in the coaching career of Gus Malzahn, who made his coaching debut last night with UCF in this game. So that has got to feel good. There would have been a lot of questions surrounding him if they would have lost this game. Okay, let's quickly talk bonehead of the week. It's another thing, um, you know, another segment I'm going to bring into this whole thing. Um, but the bonehead of the week is for this week's episode is none other than Javi Baez. So let's recap what happened with the Mets this week. Um, This was all sparked earlier this week when Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, and Kevin Pillar gave this thumbs down on the base paths, um, on the base path. Okay, so it's no secret the Mets have been struggling of late um, in an absolute free fall, one of the worst months of August that you could ever have. They were in first place for 90 days. They blew it virtually out of the playoff race, okay? So they've been getting booed by the fans, and uh, Javi Baez, who has been here for all of five minutes and played in a handful of games, decided to take it upon himself to give a little F you right back to Mets fans, okay? So uh, Lindor was in on this as well as Kevin Pillar, and what do all three of these guys have in common? This is their first year in a Mets uniform, and uh, Lindor is going to be here for about a decade, so, um, you know, something he's going to have to get used to, and if he's getting bothered by the fans in in the Big Apple booing him already, then uh, he's not built for New York. You know, Mr. Smile, as they call him, is not going to be built for for this market at all, okay? So after after the game, you know, Baez thinks it's cute to bring his kid into the uh, interview room on Zoom, and he basically says that he was booing right back at the Mets fans. That's a big F you right to the Mets fans. And so Buster Posey, um, as well as others, Michael Kay, you name it, got in on this. Buster Posey tweeted this out. It's impossible to think of another prospective free agent in Javi Baez making a bigger public relations mistake than Javi Baez did today. Burned one bridge and likely severely damaged his chances with other teams. Francisco Lindor needs to prepare an explanation for his participation too. So what that means is Javi Baez is an impending free agent. And the Mets thought they were going to sign this guy to a long-term deal or they wouldn't have sent to the Cubs their one of, if not their top prospect, okay, in the minors. So just incredible stuff, right? So then um, the front office, Zach Scott, they are pissed about this, Sandy Alderson, you name it. 
They're pissed about this. They then give some BS excuse about how they were really throwing thumbs down to the dugout and not the fans. Baez claimed that he's done it in the past to the dugout. It's just, it's cringeworthy to watch. I'm not playing the clip. It's over two minutes. But go watch it for yourself with those two um, behind the BP cage on the field just giving interviews the next day. But in any case... Uh, Baez then received boos galore and thumbs down when he came to bat, which was well-deserved that this was, I think, on Tuesday. But guess what? Things didn't end here for Baez and for the Mets. It was reported on Wednesday that acting GM Zach Scott was pulled over for DWI on Monday into Tuesday morning in White Plains, New York. So it was like 4 in the morning in t- on Tuesday. This was the night of this incident. So this was also after it was confirmed that Zach Scott was at a function at New Mets owner Steve Cohen's house. Apparently, there was personnel there, employees, players, you name it, and nobody realized or was you know in their right enough mind to say, whoa, 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 Zach, you've been drinking a little too much. You shouldn't be driving. So now he gets DWI. His his uh, the interim tag on uh, you know. In front of his title right now, uh, yeah, that's going to be going away, as will the title of general manager. He will be out. Um, he has not traveled with the team. He's been put on administrative leave. Uh, it just gets messier and messier for the Mets. Okay, so let's fast forward back to Baez, right? So after this whole fiasco, they play a doubleheader on Tuesday. The first of this game was a continuation game from April. I confirmed with my buddy who's a Mets fan. Apparently, there was one out in the first inning when they had to stop this game, um, and now they continued it. That's why this game went the full nine innings, and the second game only went seven. So, number one, it's the most thrilling victory of the year for the Mets as they came into the ninth down four runs and would go on to score five and win the game. And guess what? Javi Baez becomes the unsung hero, scoring from first base to win the game um, on a ball bobbled by the left fielder. So let's just take a listen to this one. First two out. And Conforto slashes one the other way. Base hit! That ties the game! Alonzo in! Baez digging for third! It's kicked by Alfaro! Here comes Baez! Trying to score! He scores! And the Mets win it! Turn those thumbs around! Javi Baez races home with the winning run! And the Mets win it 6-5! to Okay, um, you've heard an, all that you need to hear. So, in the ensuing scrum where they're celebrating and congratulating Baez, Javi Baez appears to drop something or lose something, and then ne- next thing you, knew, you know, all hell breaks loose and people are on the ground looking in the grass and, and examining the field and the dirt and looking for something. What are they looking for? And this is where the story just keeps getting better and better. They are looking for... Javi Baez's $200,000 earring that was misplaced or lodged out of his ear in, in the celebration, okay? That's not it. As of, this was Tuesday. This is now, let's see. This is now, today is Friday, Okay. They have still not found the earring. Sandy Alderson was on the field himself looking for this earring. Uh, The analytics department got in on this, uh, combing through video footage to try and gather just exactly where the earring might have fallen out. The entire situation is a total fiasco, and thus the accumulation of events this entire week is why Javi Baez is my bonehead of the week. Although that could very easily go to, uh, you know, a close second in the entire Bishop Sycamore uh, squad and basically their coach. But, um, you know, it's just, it's absurd. I know these players make a crap ton of money, but you have to be the ultimate moron to wear a $200,000 earring when you are playing a sport. I never see saw the appeal in men wearing earrings, leave that to the ladies, and I especially would never ever be caught playing any sport 
with a gold chain earring or other jewelry on my body. We've seen it in the NFL, etc. Um, it's just absolutely ridiculous. These guys' chains get ripped off. You name it. Um, I, I, I cannot fathom why you would want to do that. It's just ridiculous. But let's move on. Okay, in other news, the Yankees reinstated Glaber Torres today. I'm excited for that. He had a scare either yesterday, I think last night, in his final at-bat with uh, Scranton where he got hit on the hand, but he seems to be okay. Um, I'm not sure if he's in the lineup today. Let me double-check because I do get reports on the Nets. I mean, on the uh, – I, I do get alerts for the uh, – let's see. Yep, Glaber Torres is – in at shortstop, batting seventh for tonight's um, series opener against the Orioles, so that's a good sign. There was also a scare uh, with the Yankees radio announcer, 83-year-old John Sterling, had to be rescued by Yankee Spanish broadcast radio announcer Ricky Ricardo. Um, yes, that is his real name. So basically, obviously, we have this whole Hurricane Ida, this tropical storm. So after Wednesday night's game in Anaheim, um, everybody is still um, uh, radio announcers, broadcasters. They're not yet traveling with the team. So this was broadcast from Yankee Stadium. At about 10 p.m., he leaves Yankee Stadium. And Ricky Ricardo is like the last one to leave. He stays for a post game with the Spanish radio. So he's the last one to leave. When he's leaving Yankee Stadium, he describes water up to his ankles by the uh, the entrance gates. Okay? So as he's leaving, he's in his car. He drives a Jeep. He's headed back towards Jersey, as was Sterling. Well, he's trying to find his way to get home, like roads are closed, bridges, you name it. So he's making his way back there. That's when he gets a call from Susan Waldman, who's obviously John Sterling's partner. And she says that John Sterling is stuck on River Road in Edgewater, New Jersey. So Ricky's like, oh, my God, okay, like, let me, you know, I'm nearby. I'll get to him, whatever. So he's calling John Sterling on his cell phone. Eventually, John picks up. And he's trying to explain where he is. He's like across from, you know, a Chinese restaurant on River Road. And Ricky describes it as he's on River Road. He said there must have been at least 25 cars at, at minimum displaced, you know, flooded, that the road is a mess. So he finally finds John Sterling. And now, you know, water is over the tires. The cabin is starting to fill up. He's able to get Sterling out of the car and rescue him. And about an hour and a half later, um, wet, you know, water soaked and everything. He's able to get John Sterling home to his apartment in Edgewater. Um, just an incredible uh, set of events and circumstances. And like I said, this was no joke of a storm. Uh, people did, in fact, die in their cars. John Sterling could have been one of those victims if, if not for Ricky Ricardo. So uh, just a great, great story with a great ending. Okay, college football continues right about now, 20 minutes from now, um, with a game I'm extremely excited for. Number 10, UNC, going on the road to take on Virginia Tech. Uh, like I said, that starts at 6 p.m. I'm highly tempted to take um, to take North Carolina. I'm not highly tempted. I took them before the show started. I wasn't sure if I'd get this done before the start of the game. I took uh, North Carolina minus five so they got to win by six or I took them minus uh by five and a half so they got to win by six so two field goals it's not bad um I would have taken the over two but I mean first game of the year 64 63 and a half the line is coming down it's a little sketch um both of these lines are a little sketchy because they both have since come down from the start of things so that's never a good sign but I have faith this seems a little too good to be true though but I do have faith in my boy, uh, Sam Howell. Um, you know, both of these these last two meetings have been rather close. It was a 43-41 victory two years ago for Virginia Tech and then a 54-45 shootout in favor of UNC last season. So, it, like I said, if anything, it sounds like the over might be a little more um, enticing, but first game of the year, I'm always a little weary, just like with that Ohio State game. You see the jitters and, and you know, how out of sync they are in the first game. So, but the reason I took uh, North Carolina is, of course, the X-Factor, Sam Howell. 
I'm as high on him as anyone in the country. I think he's an absolute stud that does not get enough recognition. I mean, look at listen to this stat. He's one of six FBS quarterbacks in the last 25 years to have back-to-back seasons with 3,500-plus passing yards, 30-plus passing touchdowns, and fewer than 10 interceptions. The others are Kellen Moore, former, uh, you know, NFL quarterback and current offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, Geno Smith, who, you know, second-round pick of the Jets, somehow is still in the NFL backing up Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, the current Las Vegas Raiders quarterback, Marcus Mariota, the former number two overall pick and current backup quarterback to Derek Carr, and Baker Mayfield, the 2018 number one overall pick and current Browns starting quarterback. However, Howell is the only one of those that I just mentioned to do so in his freshman and sophomore campaigns. So yeah, you can say he's pretty damn good, and that's why I'm taking North Carolina with the points. Next up, uh, we've got U.S. Open tennis action going on now through next Sunday. I bet on uh, Djokovic to uh, win the event, completing what would be the first um, calendar Grand Slam since Steffi Graf and first man to do so since the late 60s. So uh, I'm rooting for for uh, the Joker. Uh, we're into the third round right now, I believe. Okay, uh, some sad news to report from the NFL. A pair of ex-players have died in recent days. Um, first up was Keith McCants, who was found dead in his home in Florida on Thursday of a suspected overdose. He was 53 years young. McCants, um, a linebacker out of the University of Alabama, was the fourth overall pick in the first round of the 1990 NFL draft by the Buccaneers. He played five seasons before his career ended in 1995. In the years since his playing days, he was arrested several times for possession of drugs and drug paraphernalia. It was also reported today that former Patriots wide receiver David Patton had died at the age of 47. Patton won three Super Bowls with the Pats. He was killed, unfortunately, in a motorcycle crash yesterday just outside of Columbus, or excuse me, Columbia, South Carolina. According to reports, Patton crossed the median, causing a crash involving two other cars. Patton played for five teams over a 12-year career, but is best known for his four seasons in New England, including two iconic catches to help the Pats capture its first Super Bowl win during the 2001 season. So rest in peace to both of those men. Okay, um, I spoke about the Nets signing Paul Millsap. They traded DeAndre Jordan, and of course, they just signed LaMarcus Aldridge. So, moving on. Okay, the Tour Championship is underway. Like I said, Patrick Cantley was winning that event. Let's double-check the updated standings. Uh, Where are we at here? Let's see. Let's find some top events. This is why I can't stand the ESPN app. Um, Really? Okay, here we go. Tour Championship. Patrick Cantley is one up on John Rahm. He's 16 under. Rahm is 15 under. Justin Thomas and DeChambeau are 10 under. And Tony Finau, who won the Northern Trust a couple weekends ago, is 9 under, um, tied with a bunch of other guys at 9 under. So this thing's just getting underway. Like I said, there's uh, two days left of the tournament. So let's see how it all unfolds throughout the weekend. Okay, this just came out today. The Jets um, wide receiver Jamison Crowder has tested positive for COVID. This now puts his status for the season opener in doubt. His vaccination status is unknown, but this is where it gets tricky. If he is not vaccinated, he will have to sit out 10 days, and that's problematic because the Jets play in Charlotte in exactly nine days. If he is vaccinated, though, he just has to receive two negative tests 24 hours apart. He actually hasn't been seen at practice all week. I know uh, Coach Robert Sala did say he was dealing with a groin or quad injury, so it is unknown uh, when he actually tested positive. 
Um, that pretty much does it. We will jump into our final segment um, on this date in sports. And let's see. On this date in sports... In 2007, Pedro Martinez became the 15th pitcher to strike out 3,000 batters in his career. Two years later, on this date, Martinez became the 10th player in Major League Baseball history to win 100 games in both leagues. He was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2015. So, um, being that he killed the Yankees in his Red Sox career, um, Putting all that aside and looking at this objectively, obviously one of the best pitchers that has ever graced this planet. So, uh, yeah, kudos to Pedro Martinez. Uh, what an outstanding career. So that's going to wrap this thing up, guys. I went really fast. I've got pizza downstairs that I've got to go heat up that was just brought home to me about 20 minutes ago. So I will get this produced and I'll get this ball rolling and I'll get the show um, uploaded during this North Carolina um, and Virginia Tech game. So I got a bit of money on that. If you didn't watch last week's episode, please go back and do that. There are some good bets I gave out. Um, I'll have another episode where I give out even more bets for week one, but I love the Buccaneers over the Cowboys at minus seven and a half. Jump on that. There's also some uh, DraftKings bonuses. You can get um, the Bucks at plus 73. That's a $50 max bet. And then you could get the Georgia Clemson game for tomorrow at the over under is like six. And that's a max of 25 to win 25. So it's free money. It's free 75 bucks. You're winning basically or 70 bucks, whatever. And then if you have Barstool Sportsbook, which just came to New Jersey a couple weeks ago, they have a nice boost where if you bet five bucks, um, on the Rams, it's boosted to like plus a thousand or something, so you're gonna win good money there. You just have to follow. Uh, there's some tricky ways on how to get that through the app. I'm still learning the Barstool Sportsbook app, but uh, yeah. So that's a few of my bets so far. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, went through it a little bit fast, but it's rapid fire. There was a lot going on this week, and if I missed anything, I do apologize. But again, um, I hope everybody's doing okay from that storm. Um, just know that if anything in your home was damaged, it's all replaceable. You might not think so, but it is replaceable. Um, even if it's things you hold value, valuable, what's not replaceable is your life. So if you're still alive, be grateful for that. And without further ado, um, I will be signing off. I am playing golf with my brothers and my sister-in-law tomorrow. Um, I'm expecting to kick some ass, so that should be fun. Um, and yeah, uh, that's pretty much all I've got, guys. Hope you hope you enjoy. Uh, this is the Pody signing out. I will see you guys next week. Stay safe and see you in a few days.